Sustain 267. Welcome to the second season of Sustain 267 podcast, where we host conversations on different issues affecting climate change in Botswana and the rest of Africa. I am your host, Patukili Siti. I must say, I really miss having these conversations, hearing people's stories, and then going on to share them with you. To kick off the second season of Sustain 267 podcast, we take a look at climate action in Botswana in partnership with United Nations Botswana. We must see climate action as an opportunity to deliver jobs and economic security for our country. We must think ahead about how we're going to empower ourselves with the skills, training and technology necessary to make lasting change and meaningful progress in the fight against climate change. We need to think about the development of enabled conditions for revitalized youth and civic participation in decision-making spaces. Additionally, building climate resilience, protecting forests, improving governance, empowering women and children, and ensuring clean energy growth in Africa with a cornerstone in reaching the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. Botswana's future will be shaped by Botswana, young and old. Those who think different and can bring forward solutions. Those who are committed to breaking boundaries and to doing hard things. In this episode, we look at contributing to the UN 75 Shaping Our Futures Together conversation on crowdsourcing solutions to global challenges. We hope to generate dialogue through today's conversation on SDG 13, Climate Action, and SDG 17, Partnerships, as they intersect with Botswana's commitment to climate change and development priorities. With this conversation, we aim to engage Botswana and leverage off of their lived experience and co-learn while exchanging knowledge and sharing information on the support available from United Nations Botswana. Joining me for today's conversation is Zia Chowdhury, the Resident Coordinator with United Nations Botswana, Chimbizani Bratonovic, the Environment and Climate Change Program Specialist with UNDP Botswana, Kevin Rawai, who is the founder of Green Habitat and a recipient of the Small Grants Program. And we also have a cameo appearance by Belisi Hopolang, the Chief Meteorologist at Department of Meteorology in Botswana. To kick off the conversation, here are a few words from Zia. Um, well, first, I want to recognize uh, you know, Pato, Pato herself and Sustain267 for organizing and, and hosting this webinar on such a topical issue And I also want to thank the speakers for taking time off from, you know, your busy schedules. Everybody's busy. So we really value that you've taken time off to support uh, this cause, which affects every single person in every part of the world, I believe, every single person. And, um, you know, for background, I'd like to say that, you know, this webinar is working, uh, it's riding on the back of the United Nations initiative and commitment to listening to people from, uh, you know, all across the world, but from my perspective, is listening to people in Botswana uh, about the future that we want and the future that you need. So, uh, in, you know, with reflection to that, in, in January 2020, uh, the United Nations uh, launched you know, a year-long global initiative to listen to people's priorities, their expectations of international cooperation, and so on. And through a number of methods like surveys and dialogues, Uh, more than 4,000 people in Botswana were uh, were able to share their hopes and fears for the future and, dis- and discussed uh, many things, especially how all actors, including the UN, can innovate and work together to better address uh, the global challenges we face. Now, according to those results of that survey we did, 
uh, 97% of respondents believe that international cooperation is important for addressing global challenges. And, uh, you know, there was variation to that figure across the regions, but overall, people truly believe that multilateral approaches are important when dealing with important and major global challenges uh, like the one we're discussing today. Um, many of the respondents, you know, looked to, to the United Nations to lead an international cooperation to address the immediate and the medium and the longer term global challenges. Uh, but they also want other organizations to innovate, to be more inclusive, to be more engaged, and, and so on. Uh, they really want to see accountability and effectiveness from a wide range of stakeholders, which is, which is really music to our ears because at no time does the UN feel that we should dominate or lead. You know, we are here to support, convene, and play many roles uh, in supporting, you know, the, the people, we the people, all of us, to tackle these global issues. So, uh, to, you know, looking at today's event, um, you know, uh, we feel that it's, it's key to realizing a more sustainable, a more climate resilient future. Uh, and in order to do that, we need to strengthen the capacity, not build the capacity because there's a lot of capacity, but give more strength to that and give more space to that capacity, which exists already, but also to, you know, we do that through helping people to share their views and to, you know, work together more easily. So uh, one of our contributions to the, you know, our conversation on shaping the future together is to look for uh, global solutions to global challenges through crowdsourcing. And we hope to generate dialogue through panels like this, uh, particularly working on SDG 13 and 17, and to look, you know, how they intersect with Botswana's commitment to climate change and development priorities. The overall aim is to engage Botswana community by listening to your hopes and fears and leveraging where we can your lived experiences to learn together and exchange knowledge together. Maybe just a few more words, if you, if you don't mind. Climate change for us, and I think for all of us, is the defining crisis of our time. It's happening um, you know, more quickly than we, than we imagine, even worse than, our, worse than my worst fears. Uh, but we are, we're not powerless in the face of this global issue, global threat. And the, the Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, my boss, he said in September last year, climate emergency is a race that we are losing, but it's a race that we can win. And I, I truly believe that. You know, he's, he's a realist, but he's also an optimist. So, you know, at the moment, there's, there's no corner of the world, of the globe, which is immune from the, these consequences of climate change. There's rising temperatures. There's environmental degradation, there's natural disasters, there's weather extremes, there's food and water insecurity, economic disruption. There's so much going on. And even going to conflict and terrorism, a lot of it is so closely linked. And in business, it's not business as usual. We need to look at how all these issues intersect. Now, Botswana is one of the countries in Africa which I understand will extreme the most, will experience the most extreme changes. Uh, uh, when it comes to uh, global warming scenarios, and it's quite, quite uh, worrying. Um, and so these will have negative impacts on many aspects of our rather fragile uh, economy and ecosystem. So, you know, this is why these talks are so important. So what we've discussed today, I think, will really be so critical. Uh, it will, you know, we'll demand action. We'll also ask for more people to be involved in our discussion. And I truly believe that a government business, civil society, youth, media, if we all work together, 
we can really create a green future where suffering is diminished, justice is upheld, more harmony is restored between the people and the planet. Let me stop there and thank you so much, Pato, and over to you. Thank you so much for those words, Zia. Um, you touched on quite a number of things that we'll be touching on today. So crowdsourcing, listening to people around the world. But what we'll be doing specifically today is listening to Botswana. So at this point, I'd like to invite our panelists to please engage in the conversation, join us in the conversation as we're talking, share your thoughts so that this is a conversation, not so much a webinar where we're speaking at you. And to start off to invite you into the conversation, Today, we're talking about climate action. And I'd like to know what climate action means for you. Globally, we're experiencing different things. We're experiencing it in different ways. And I'd like to know individually, what does it mean to you, Kevin? So you can kick us off there. Thanks, Pato. Hi. Hi, everybody. Climate change, as I said, is a threat to humankind. And if we don't react to it, we will cease to exist as humans. As an individual, I'll start to say, Climate action as my role as an individual to actually see and come up with measures that can curb or seize these effects that are affecting us. You know, it starts as an individual to have that role as an environmentalist, to have that role as an economist to say, if I do this as a way of conserving the environment, as a way of conserving the biodiversity, what are the impacts, what are the effects, you know. We might take some of these things uh, really, really as a joke, just like throwing a paper or probably polluting, and we would say these are just acts that probably they'll disappear in the future, but they won't, you know. It needs me as an individual to tell myself that this is my home, Earth is my home, there won't be a second home. You know, I have to take care of what I have right now. So as an individual, you have to take it upon yourself to say, I have to lead by example. I don't have to wait for the government to say, uh, we need to act. What am I doing as an individual to act? Probably that's the reason why I started Green Habitat Botswana as an individual to say, let me bring youth together. Let us voice out uh, about our climate. Let us have an action uh, plan to save in the environment that we have because it's upon us. You know, we cannot always rely on the government. We can always rely on someone to come and save us. So as individuals, I call everybody to actually come on board and really, really play their part in conserving our environment and the earth that we... I mean, if I knew, you know, I would have started planting trees when I was one year old, but look at me now. That's I'm here trying to plant trees, trying to save the environment, but uh, all hope is not lost. Mm, I think there's still time to really educate people out there as an individual to tell them that there's still time and actually we need to be coming together as a global village to solve these environmental impact issues that we are having. 
Thank you for that, um, Kevin. In, there's a Chinese proverb that's, I think it's a Chinese proverb, but it says the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago and the best, the second best time is now. So you still have opportunity to take advantage of the now. Um, Chimbi, what does climate action mean for you? Thank you very much, Patra, and thank you very much for bringing that light in terms of sharing the, the, the Chinese proverb. I was going to say the same, to say I like what Kevin said, um, in regards to I should have started then, but uh, now it's also a very good opportune time, definitely. But yes, uh, back to your question in terms of what does climate change mean to me. To me, um, like also Zia, I'll echo the same sentiments uh, said by Zia and also Kevin, to say we know climate change is happening, it's here. And like he said, uh, just to reiterate, Botswana is one of the countries that is uh, said to be warming than the, the average so what then does climate change mean is we need to act and act now. Uh, there's need for us to take urgent action uh, to combat climate change. But what does that mean at, at, a, at a personal level? Um, the government is doing its part in terms of putting together the legal framework that is required to respond, to respond with mitigation action and adaptation, adaptation action. But as an individual, what is it that you can do? It's the food you eat. It's what you buy. Uh, make uh, informed decisions in terms of how you, you know, you you recycle your waste, you reuse. So those are some of the things. And what would it take for us to get to that level of mindset? Because it doesn't happen overnight. Um, uh, we need to start raising awareness in terms of what is required for us to collectively perhaps assist in reaching the targets that we've set ourselves um, in, in order to reduce emissions, in order for us to be able to protect the environment. So there's need for us to educate more, for us to share research that's being funded, for us to be accessible to, you know, for people to, to have access to such information so that they're able to make informed decisions. So for me, it's all about taking action. At a small scale as an individual, it could contribute to a much more bigger and broader impact. Uh, in the future and save uh, the, the future, the, our planet for the future generation. And that's another uh, key one because, you know, as a parent, as, uh, uh, you know, we all have needs, we would want to see the nephews, we would like to see them living in a much more improved planet that we have today. And that is possible. We've seen during extreme lockdown, we've seen uh, nature building back, like, you know, uh, fighting back. We've seen animals roaming the street. We've seen pollution being reduced. Of course, not enough. It's not enough to meet the targets, but this was an indication that it is possible indeed. Thank you. Um, I think what I got from both your responses is it's inclusive and not only is it inclusive, it's everyone can do it from the individual actions you highlighted on individual actions, which will be useful right up to bigger organizations taking action on climate. The United Nations has led quite a bit in terms of addressing climate change, but I think for the appreciation of those who are involved in this area um, and wish to engage the United Nations, may you please tell us what your role is, especially in Botswana? What would I come to you for if I was an activist in Botswana, if I was a department in Botswana, if I was an organization? So how we set up as UNDP and how we respond to uh, for support to support the government is that we work through the Ministry of Environment, Natural Resources, Conservation and Tourism uh, to support in, in efforts to promote sustainable development, ultimately supporting Botswana's 
realization of vision, uh, of NDP 11 and vision 2016 and ultimately you know reaching uh, sustainable development goals uh, this of course a working modality was brought about by the realization of the Botswana's vulnerability to climate change, also the trade-offs between uh, economic development and the environment, uh, realizing the weak uh, you know, compliance in, in environmental issues, inadequate use of data to inform uh, integrated decision-making, and uh, unsustainable land use practices. And these are all the corner areas that uh, UNDP is trying to assist uh, the Ministry of Environment uh, to respond to. So these are done through initiatives that, of course, with funding from different avenues, but most importantly, the global environmental facilities or facility or the, uh, the Green Climate Fund, we then support uh, together with uh, government co-funding uh, co 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 uh, to implement such initiatives. So, um, so the bigger program, which is the environment portfolio, then addresses both climate vulnerabilities and also, you know, um, just making sure that we assist the country to submit or to comply to the commitments that it has made, your UNFCCC, for example. So we'll then be supporting uh, Botswana to develop its reports, uh, national communication reports, which means that we are able to meet our commitments in terms of the reporting aspect not necessarily the targets that are much more longer. Uh, maybe not to get to what actually we are supporting right now, perhaps what else are we, uh, for the ordinary Botswana, what does it mean, uh, you know, in terms of our existence? Uh, maybe two-pronged. Um, obviously, through the policy that we support, that then the ministry implements, it's able to respond to the challenges that also affect ordinary Botswana at home. And also, I mean, through some of the initiatives that are there within uh, UNDP, like the Small Grants Program, an ordinary Motswana who is part of a CSO like Kevin here, which I'm sure he will touch on later on, they can benefit from initiative as such, where you are, you know, we are able to release a call for proposal and one is able to put together uh, a response and be able to benefit from uh, uh, the, 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 the minimum resources that are there for them to implement projects that respond to challenges uh, that the, current, the country is facing in regards to climate change. So there are possibilities. And uh, I, I'm not saying we are doing enough, uh, like Zia mentioned in, in, her, in his opening remarks, that um, you know, there is need for us to interact more with, uh, with the different stakeholders because that will allow us to also gather feedback that will be able to inform whether we are in the right lane in terms of trying to respond, whether we have all the stakeholders on board or have we left out some. Obviously, yes, it will never be enough to cover everybody, but uh, it's, it's best to have consulted and received the necessary feedback that will then allow for you to formulate your initiatives or programming in a much more uh, informed manner. Thank you for that, Chimbi. Um, I'm going to stick a pin in um, your support for government and uh, development and move over to individual support and support of CSOs, bringing Kevin into the conversation. Kevin, I know you have been a recipient of the Small Grants Program, uh, which is facilitated by United Nations. And can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to be a beneficiary and how the, the, the journey has been so far? I think it was on 20, 2017, 
uh, I saw a call of a uh, proposal with the UNDP. I tried applying it and I, I was alone by that time, you know. So when I went through the requirements of what needs to be done uh, to get the grant, I actually uh, found out that uh, there's still a lot to do. You need to have an NGO or probably an organization that is running, that is registered uh, for you to actually apply for a grant. So now I have to go back to the drawing board, start registering my NGO, Green Habitat Botswana. And our first few projects we funded from our pockets. There were like tree planting initiatives and we had environmental education talks throughout some schools. You know, that's how we managed to bring in partnerships. So what happened is we came up with a single project that we thought this is a project that is really innovative, it's catchy, and it's easy to do. So we went to UNDP. I think there was a, after a call, there was a week or where they called all the people who wanted to apply for funding. We went to their headquarters. They did a training and they did introductions of what needs to be done as a CSO, as a CBO, as an NGO, that these are the requirements. And why are we funding this kind of projects? They have like thematic areas that they fund, uh, looking at the operational phases as well. So we applied for the fund, even though we felt two weeks wasn't enough because <laughs> the, the opening period is two weeks for you to come up with everything. So it was a busy two weeks of uh, compiling everything. But we managed, uh, they, they were very helpful because they will take you step by step. I mean, uh, May, goodness, Loveness and uh, Abigail and Gotten, those guys would actually make life simpler and for you to understand the whole process of how to write a proposal and what needs to be done. But when the response came was that we need to fix a few things within the proposal. We need to amend here and there, you know, the corrections, you know, because there, there might be some errors during that 14 days. So we managed to apply. So going into our project, our project goes like this. The framework is we want to reduce the food waste that has been thrown into the landfills. The objective is reducing the food waste also reduces the bad order in landfills. It reduces the methane production in landfills. It also cleans the environment as a whole. And people who live around landfills would actually have a, a, a healthy lifestyle. So that's basically what our project is doing. So our organization managed to identify stakeholders that we'll be working with. That is our host, Maran Community Junior School. That's where we are doing the project. And most of government departments, including waste management, Department of Environmental Affairs, Department of Agriculture Research, and Buan. So these are the guys who are really, really helping us with the technical know-how to actually produce compost that was really, really nutritious for our land. So we have seen that this is a, 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 a natural-based solution to climate change. If you can manage to reduce the methane production in landfills, probably our next step would actually now try to educate people on how to separate the waste now. My uncle in the U.S. says waste is money. 
has told me that you guys are sitting on money. If you can find ways to actually separate the waste and recycle it, your country will be clean, your country will be healthy, and also you will reduce the effects of climate change. Of course, we can't do it alone as an NGO, but our aim is to call on every other NGO out there, individuals who are willing to be part of this projects because but the individuals, organizations within communities that have brilliant ideas and there's funding for that. I'd actually urge more people to do research uh, about projects they want to do and you know interact with international organizations that are really willing to fund. Um, thank you for that, Kevin. You addressed a question that I get quite often, which is where to start um, I think a lot of people are interested in climate change and engaging in climate action, but they're not quite sure where's step one. So for Kevin, it's um, he was planting trees. For me, it's more or less around the same area. And thank you for that. Um, I hope anyone who's looking to get into this takes something from that. Ms. Chimbi, Kevin spoke about some of the agreements that we signed. So the Kyoto Protocol, the Paris Agreement, the Khaburuni Declaration for Sustainability in Africa, when you look at what we are being a part of in terms of the papers that we're signing, they look very promising. It looks like we're on we're on the path of success, which gives hope to when Zia said we're on a race that we're currently losing, but we can win. Those give us hope that we still can win it. Unfortunately, the reality is we are currently losing. From your position, Chimbi, where do you think we could do better as a government trickling down to individual level? But definitely, like you were saying, um, very closely, um, we're signatories to many um, conventions uh, and all the other agreements, multilateral agreements, uh, um, but uh, we seem not to be where we should be in, in as far as uh, attaining our targets is concerned. That is in itself, uh, there is some, some truth in that, definitely in that uh, implementation, it's a bit of a challenge. Uh, as, as a country, we are challenged because, like I said, any resources are not always available. And again, going back to what Kevin said, we cannot do it alone as an individual and as a country. Uh, Botswana, if you look at the nationally or the, the very first intended nationally determined contributions, uh, Botswana had pledged that uh, by 2020 would have reduced our emission by 15%. This is in, in itself, it's a very big undertaking. It's, it's a very ambi uh, ambitious target. Uh, that meant that all the legal framework needed ought to have been in place for us to be able to reach uh, our target. We needed resources, we needed technology. We needed to have, you know, um, a level of economic growth for us to be able to come up with the mitigation measures that are required in order for us to deliver on such a target. And obviously, uh, you know, the process of just developing a policy itself, it's a very, can be a very lengthy process. But of course, we are here now with Botswana having developed this climate change policy uh, 2015. Uh, now we have a draft that's before Parliament, uh, hoping for it to be passed this year, uh, which would really outline some of the, or, or would then to it mainstream, some of the mitigation and adaptive measures that will be taken up in order to respond to some of the challenges. Um, and again, going back to that, Botswana is really one of the countries that is said to be warming than the rest, although our emission levels are slightly on the low. We are more on the receiving end in terms of 
the effects, impact of climate change, which means we cannot sit back and say, because our emission levels are low, then we don't have to act. We still have to act the same, or even if anything, uh, double up our ambition in terms of uh, our intentions to meet our target. But now, um, that was in 2015 when the, 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 the first INDC <clears throat> was uh, developed. Now we are going into the second phase where we are doing a revision or an update of the NDC. And UNDP, again, is supporting the process. Uh, we have now uh, a consultancy firm that is supporting the Ministry of Environment uh, to go through that process. And I know that, uh, you know, that the intention is not to really increase the target because like we said, um, it's a big undertaking. It's an ambitious target already of 15%. The idea is to rather make sure that we have robust um, you know, mitigation measures in place for us to be able to increase our ambition, which means that we'll work very hard, we'll double our efforts. Resources ought to be put in place for us to perhaps uh, shift a little bit towards renewables uh, through the Ministry um, of Minerals uh, so that we are able to reduce on the emissions. But like we are saying, it's not something that would happen overnight. It takes time. It requires resources. It requires the, uh, the right for legal instruments to be on board in order for us to be able to deliver on such. But um, you know what? I, I, I strongly believe that the government is doing uh, the best in terms of allowing for a leveled playfield, if I may say, for lack of a better word, in order for also the, the citizens to come up to the party and say, we can actually do one, two, three, to allow the private sector to take up some of the recommendations and run with them and actually assist the government uh, uh, deliver on the targets that we've set ourselves. Um, it's not the government alone. Yes, their role is also to make sure we sign those uh, conversions that speaks to what we believe in, that speaks to where we want to see ourselves going forward in terms of maintaining, um, uh, you know, uh, controlling environmental challenges and uh, preserving our natural resources. But it's upon ourselves, the citizens, for us to really join the movement in terms of trying to respond to addressing the challenges that are there. So definitely they are there and work is ongoing uh, to also keep up with the reporting, keep up with the uh, digital you know, solutions that are out there for us to be able to, uh, to reach those targets. Uh, issues of climate financing, uh, which I think would be more better place to speak to better. But yes, uh, through UNDP, through other uh, donor, the donor or partner development partners, we are trying to come up with ways in which we could support the government uh, to get to a place where we can say we are back on route towards uh, attaining uh, the targets. And in, in doing so, we need, again, like I said, we need very robust mitigation measures, um, uh, mitigation and adaptation uh, you know, plans for us to be able to implement, uh, to address uh, hopefully in the near future. And uh, the target was 20. 2030, which is just around the corner. So we need to really be now looking back and measuring our progress today to say, where are we now? And for us to be able to do that, we need data. And this is something that is still a challenge in the country as a whole and Southern Africa as a whole, not only Botswana, 
issues of data availability, you find that without a baseline, you cannot really know what your target would then be because you need that as a point of reference. So we need to also see a lot more going into funding research that will be able to uh, uh, allow us to have that data. And we need for that data to also be easily accessible in open uh, sources that uh, people are able to access and make use of it. Um, thank you for that, um, Chindi. I'm going to um, invite Mr. Belisokopolang to add to what Chindi said. Yes, we're hijacking you, Mr. Hopolang. We speak about um, all of these measurable things, so 15% by 2030. If we've got people doing individual actions, so at Sustain267, I'm doing something, Kevin is doing something at Green Habitat, that individuals that are doing something in their own capacities at their farms, how do we then monitor that? Is there a way of, of monitoring that so that it contributes towards the larger goal of 15% by 2030? So how do we how do we accommodate individual actions or non-governmental actions, really? Yes, but um, thank you very much for that. Uh, very, very good question indeed. How do we accommodate individual action? Uh, the process itself of, uh, you know, getting to a point where you can say, being informed by the data that you referred to, that individual data, contributing to the different sectors. So it's a sectorial uh, process in saying in the energy sector, these are the number of boreholes that use uh, renewable energy. You know, um, the light bulbs in, in the houses, individual houses, just giving random examples, and the lighthouses contribute to this much reductions, um, you know, um, in the agricultural production. So it's sectorial based, based on the sector that you're operating on as a business, uh, that's the kind of data that then needs to be gathered in order for it to be correlated, to be available for us to be measuring progress against. So it's sectoral based, maybe a uh, long story short. Uh, I'll give, I'll give it okay, um, thank you for that, Chimbi. Um, and then thoughts coming in there from Khaukhakala Sobaka, who works at the Lobatze City Council. Thoughts that we need area-specific or city-based GHG emission inventories so that we know where to focus when developing mitigation efforts. Aggregate, aggregated figures might lead us to not getting our actions right, which is quite correct, Hal, because um, just globally, what you need in one continent is not what you need at the other continent. What you need in one country is not what applies to the next country. And in a, um, in a country, I'm sure what's, what works in um, one district won't necessarily be as relevant in another district. Now still on the conversation of individual action. So one of the cornerstones um, of today's conversation is crowdsourcing. So crowdsourcing actions, crowdsourcing ideas, crowdsourcing, just how do we combat climate change? Just a quick plug here. So we have started a climate action and was on a group on Facebook so that anyone who's doing anything climate action related can join and share so that we know who's doing what in Botswana. So share your events, your activities, your thoughts. For the purpose of sharing opportunities, knowing when we need a specialist in one area, who we can um, call and who's interested in that um, particular area. Um, and then a question coming in from Seho when she, when she registered was, historically, Botswana have, have known how to crowdsource. 
So if you look at the University of Botswana, that was built through crowdsourcing, maybe not of ideas, but um, of finances and resources. And her question is, are we seeing the same sort of connectedness and willingness to contribute when small activist organizations are seeking support? So Kevin, maybe you can um, pitch in there. How does the change of platform from, let's say, government to um, CSO, how does that translate? Uh, before we can go further into that, I think the main challenge we are facing is the lack of information and data that uh, Chimbi said. I mean, we cannot put policies, we cannot have guidelines, agreements without having information or data on the ground of what exactly are we saying, what exactly are we looking at, what exactly are we fighting for, you know. I think that's the reason why most uh, Botswana here find it difficult to be probably dealing with environmental issues or probably signing in into uh, CSOs or NGOs that deal with environmental issues. Because, so I think we need to now act on getting the information on the ground and making it accessible to everybody. You know, if I had an interview with a few people around to ask about how far do they, how much do they know about SDGs in Botswana? Since 2015 to 2021, and still people uh-huh. don't understand what SDGs are and <laughs> what, 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 what an individual has to do. You know, I feel some of these policies are still at national levels. People in local and community levels don't know anything about them. So we need to take this to the people so that the people can actually have ideas they can contribute to say, you know, back in the days we used to do this this way and it was sustainable for us. You know, for example, people used to conserve wildlife because it was a totem to them. They had to protect it. They had to love it. That is a way of conservation. So these are the people with means of knowing, you know, to say we can do it better this way. So I'd urge people to actually now collaborate. I mean, SDG 17 talks about partnerships. We partnerships to bring data and information that is informative and understood by everybody. You know, we can translate our SDGs into local languages where everybody can now understand SDGs in Kalanga, SDGs in Sakhalakadi or, you know, Sehambukush. You get what I'm saying? So we need those. We cannot be presenting uh, reports, research about, you know, GHGs in a quarter meeting. They would think this one claims is from a investor and probably you get on saying because they wouldn't understand and they would they wouldn't re- relate to that, to that message. So it's up to us, you know, the civic communities, the international organizations in the government to actually take this to the people to say now, listen, let's talk. What are we saying? Let's understand each other. Then believe me, we can fight this. But right now we are fighting a losing battle because as the government and international organizations trying to really work it out, but the people who are affected by this don't understand what is coming to them. Definitely, definitely. Um Calvin, I, I feel the same way as well. If we're going to speak about SDGs, what are SDGs in Sotswana? Maybe that's a question. Mr. Hopolang, please come in. You will agree with me that we have had challenges 
as nations, as uh, citizens of the world, but climate change is one such. It competes with others. And also apologies for joining a bit late, like uh, notification came this morning, you know, from the office. I'm working from home today. And um, I don't know where to start, but I think what Kevin just said sort of shook me a bit and I want to address it without any reference for the, I didn't take offense, but I'm just saying that's his opinion. So Kevin, when he said normally governments tend to keep things to themselves, I don't agree with you. Not because I'm a civil servant, but because of uh, the approach that I know, having been working in government for some time. So we have a consultative process, Mobotoana. From the Kotla setup that we have had, from the way things are done, Botswana have always been a nation that consults. Mungona, high example, are a crowdsourcing. We've seen how various institutions were established. It was obvious as a result of message having reached the people. So, similarly, even when we address issues, I'll talk to climate change because uh, that's my area of um, work. Even when we did this uh, policy, it's not finalized like what Chimbia said, it's before parliament, but there was a thorough process here who consulted the people out there. Because in the end, is somebody in Kachikao, somebody in Veda, and that one in Kaburon, they live with climate change every day. So you have to bring them all in so that you get their views to inform direction going forward. And that's the approach we took. And I also want to say, you know, climate change, as we all know, the causes, I'm not going to go into that. That's 101. We've gone past that. But when we did the policy, like Chimbi did mention, we considered all the sort of things for the way we coming, what do we want to address? And also when we did the NDC that she mentioned, issue of pledges that we did ahead of the adoption of the Paris Agreement, there were views coming from people, you know, coming in, what do we do? What can we do? And there was also an issue here on how do we account for the individual contributions? They get individual information and it's aggregated. It becomes a national data, forms a national database. But fair enough, I must acknowledge the fact that you cannot be accurate to the the population of Zanakohat is 2,499,55. There is obviously that kind of uh, aggregation you accumulate in certain numbers because of the order of uh, the accuracy that you put in place. Mehela, the individual data is taken on board. So when you talk as Botswana, I go, okay, Botswana has so many cases. Of course, here and there, you may have one mortality, but then you, you, you understand where I'm coming from. I'm not being defensive. I'm just trying to address an issue or how we work at individual contributions for the emissions. But those interventions are They always go thorough to the ground. So where possible, we, we always go down. But there is nothing wrong with somebody making an observation about by the authorities. But okay, I think there was an omission here. And then the role of the CSOs, even the policy arona does have room, does accommodate the CSO because and in most cases, the CSO will bring them together. 
I mean, NGO, I know some people, they interpret NGOs otherwise, but I think here in Botswana, you are fully aware of our NGOs have a place in our developmental you know, issues that they attain. So that's why, you know, you are free to, to express your views without being harassed. You know, if you come to our office, Calvin has been to my office once, and if he, he can attest for any questions he has, we are here. But I'm just trying to say, you know, we, we try to get everybody on so that when we, we address issues, they become really, really national. And just on an end note to say, you must also understand what our policies are, not just driven by what we want to do, they're driven by our commitments out there, having ratified the multilateral agreements that we have done. Has it climate change? Yeah, but it's not just So climate change in particular, we have done that. There's one Montreal protocol, we have done that. So we are here, and there our vision, national vision, these things because it brings everything to, together. And then SDGs are quite broad, and I quite appreciate the fact that Lonalele Civil Society, you want to unpack them. And where we can afford to provide resources, we will do. And some of these multilateral agreements, like what climate change, is in a small you know, support structure. And you are just thinking UNDP, you are just thinking whoever your developmental partners are. But this is to help you reach out to the people. But Rona as government, our mandate is to create an enabling environment which allows you to, you know, to, to, to deliver on what you want to take out there. Because I'm here with you, I'm quite open. I may not give you all the answers, but I'm, I'm very happy that we have partners like UNDP, UNDP on the ground and uh, the civil society to be able to work together in a harmonious relationship. Thank you for that. Bye. So I'm going to suspend the last question to our panelists. And for now, we're going to turn to the questions and comments in the, we're going to turn to the questions and comments from the, from their attendees. There's still quite a number of people still sharing what climate action is to them. Please, if you haven't shared yet, do share with us what does climate action mean for for you and um, to you. Zia also made an appeal to everyone who's joining us here um, to share suggestions on how you would like to be supported um, by the United Nations Botswana, because it's one thing if the United Nations and Botswana says we can only do this, but now we're having an opportunity to say, how would you like to be helped as a um, climate activist, as uh, as someone who's in the CSO space looking to address climate action? So they may not have funds, but there are many other things that they can provide, such as connecting us with some organizations that possibly do have funds, whether nationally or globally, um, access to research, um, access to um to online courses, I've taken some of them and learned quite a bit on them, um, amplifying some of the messages, especially for people who, whose work is centralized around raising awareness. And then from side A, to me, climate action means stepping back into self-healing, intergenerational wounds directly and indirectly related to the environment. It means bridging the gap between African indigenous knowledge and climate science as we know it today. Thank you for bringing in Indigenous knowledge. It's very important to where we're planning to go to reflect on where we have been. And then coming down, climate action to me is the end of climate 
is the end point of climate change awareness, understanding, commitment to address climate change at all levels. And then question from Leocadia Valoyin. So this one I'm going to um, direct towards Chimbi and specifically towards Calvin as someone who's already got a project. Um, and if he took that into consideration when he was putting it, up, putting it on the ground. Are climate action projects included, including those supported by the UN gender mainstreamed? Are they intentional about gender-oriented actions um, linked to climate change? Um, so that's the first one, um, gender mainstreaming within climate change. Um, yes, definitely. Indeed, uh, gender mainstreaming is a very important uh, component of at least of all the projects that we, we are supporting and funding within UNDP. And it's expectation as well to our funders or donors that we address that because it's a cross-cutting issue uh, that's very keen. And we, we want to use whatever initiative that we are funding to gather the data that will also inform decisions in terms of where we think the support is required more. And also to see whether we are we actually responding, you know, uh, to the targets that we have set ourselves of one leaving no one behind and also, you know, being inclusive in our decisions uh, and also, you know, supporting the most vulnerable women and the girl child uh, particularly groups. So definitely with all the projects that we are supporting, even if, if, even if it's a core, we always, either you have uh, that uh, attachment, you know, text that says women are encouraged to apply, even, for, even if it's a job. And then we have also what we call a gender marker, which uh, indicates uh, the level at which a gender is uh, mainstream or gender issues should be addressed within each initiative. So very much uh, considered uh, and given top priority. And we, like I said, we are collating the data such that uh, come end of a project or initiative, we are able to say this initiative supported a certain number of, of women. Uh, but of course, this is not only women, uh, supported a number of, of men as well. So definitely a very important one. And it's cross-cutting, so we cannot say it's not there in any one of our projects. It's normally a big component. Oh, yeah. I don't want to what Chimbi has already said. I think uh, on the application, you know, when you apply for funding, there is, you know, a section where you have to actually explain how you're going to involve women, children, and vulnerable groups into your project and how they're going to benefit. So they're trying by all means not to leave anybody behind because just imagine a project all led by men and no women, you know, are participating in it. And knowledge uh, uh, dissemination would be only through men. So I think it's one of the components they really look into when they review or when they vet your application that are you really going to uh, involve women into this? And they not only look at the application, but I think they also when they monitor the project, when they come, to where your project is, they want to see what you actually wrote into the proposal to say, these are 10 women that I'll be working with. Uh, these are like five youths or two from a vulnerable, a vulnerable group. Oh, yeah, but maybe before you come in, just to add on, on the gender one again, um, like what Kevin has said, uh, it's not just the numbers. You know, it has to be tangible, uh, targeted, uh, useful, 
support that is meant to provide or fill in the gaps that had been identified. If, for example, we know that um, there is limited um, understanding or, you know, we know that uh, traditional knowledge does exist and how people have been managing natural resources before, but the, the missing gap, for example, could be that they need uh, short courses in how to, maybe bookkeeping, for example, in, in the initiative that they're doing. So it has to be a targeted, you know, useful component that will then address a challenge. So it's not just to say uh, five women were involved, involved doing exactly what, and then we have to monitor that closely to make sure that indeed it is uh, useful over. And that is actually quite important because you could have a team of 20, a team of 20 with 15 women and they're all the tea ladies and cleaners. So that's actually a very important point to raise. Uh, thank you, Chimbi. Um, I'm going to share a message from Biafa that's thought-provoking. You don't necessarily have to answer it now, but it's something to think about. Um, at institutional level, how many organizations in Botswana have a green economy action plan? ISO 14001 is still voluntary standard. How many trees were planted in the last 10, year, 10 years via our national tree planting days by DFRR? How many survive to date? At the individual level, majority of our people are clueless and too poor to make climate change behavior a priority. Taken together, all this hints at the knowing and sobering fact that there is hardly any climate action in Botswana. Um, I think that that um, passage brings into, into consideration quite a number of things, such as people who, quite frankly, just, you know, were talking about um, the future and how climate will affect us in the future, in 30 years, um, sinking cities in 50 years. And Theo brings into, into the conversation someone who's like, listen, it's either I do this thing that's bad for the environment or I don't survive until next week. I don't survive until next month. So that is something that we, we always need to have at the back of our heads, that there are certain privileges that allow us to, that allow us certain actions and just have that presence of mind. And then the question here, I'm going to move on to um, a question that Sepi shared, which says, which once again goes back to individual action, I wonder how much impact can be realized by focusing advocacy on individual action when the biggest emitters are actually private corporation in industry, mining, and energy sectors. Actually, I um, may also um, invite the attendees for the webinar to please um, chip in. What do you think um, the, the impact that can be realized from individual action is versus the biggest emitters. So looking at your private industry. Where do we think the impact is likely to be hurt the most? Is it at an individual level or more uh, bigger sectoral, if I may? Um, I think the two should not be, yeah? I think the question was more with us concentrating on individual level, how much impact can that really have when most of the action is coming when most of the emissions are from bigger industries. Yes, no, definitely. Thank you very much, Patha, for that again. Um, for me, I mean, uh, this should not be seen as just individual. Individually, collectively, we can add up to a bigger, you know, we make a bigger collective where we are able to contribute uh, towards a bigger output, like I said previously. So, I don't want us to think, or oh, as an individual, I cannot really contribute much. Definitely, um, 
she is or he's right by saying, um, as an individual, what effect can I have uh, since I'm not maybe the biggest of polluters? But this is exactly what we, we are saying to say, it takes a mind shift to be able to get us to a point where we want to see ourselves meeting the targets. So if we have more individuals understanding their footprint you know, on the environment and coming up with ways in which they can address those, then already we are seeing a change. So let's, let's move towards having that ripple effect. Of course, there will be other ways in which other governments have moved on with that to say, as bigger industries, how do you then pay towards addressing some of uh, your emissions or your carbon footprint on the, on the environment? Um, but I don't want them to be treated separately. They should be seen as one leading to the other. So let's rally together as individuals and put pressure on those also biggest polluters such that they also take action. And then that way we, more, we, we form a movement that uh, helps the government uh, to move towards implementing the policies that they have rightfully developed to address issues of climate change. Over. Mm, I think the biggest challenge we are facing, especially as advocators of, you know, climate change, you know, biodiversity conservation and management is taking it to Botswana. We have good policies, we have guidelines, we have frameworks and acts, but the enforcement of those, you know, there's a slow uptake in terms of actually bringing those to, you know, those who are doing it. Take, for example, we have the Environmental Impact Assessment Act. We have the Archaeological Impact Assessment Act. But if you go and ask for the monetary reports from, you know, the overseer, it's, it's difficult to really get it. You know, I've been involved in projects where I haven't seen some of the agents monitoring the projects. So the big emitters always, you know, slip uh, over the bridge, you know, I mean, under the bridge, uh, by not following all these impact assessments. So whenever a project is done and they leave, the impacts uh, are left with us. The, we feel most of these impacts. So as I've said before, it's upon us to come together to have a coalition, a voice to say, enough is enough. We have policies, we have acts, we have laws, but these are not working in our favor. I mean, at the end of the day, is our country will be left with most of these impacts. So we need an enforcement of the, uh, on the ground. We need environmental watchdogs on the ground to really say, you cannot be doing this like that. If you are doing a project and the project has to be following an implementation plan, now follow it to the core. Do not have you know, jumping holes because you feel there's no monitoring. And if there's no monitoring, there won't be information, there won't be data to actually say, okay, we have done this project, these are the results. You get what I'm saying? So it's, it's up to us, the government, the private sector to work together. Let's not only look at profits when doing this project, let's look at the environmental impact as well. Because, well, people will make money and go, but what about the environment? It will take time to restore the environment. It will take time for people to really get the lifestyle or the livelihood they had before the project came. 
So I'm inf- I'm actually calling up to everybody who's here to actually devote themselves to actually try to enforce the law when it comes to any other environmental impact uh, project that comes here. You know, because without that, by the time we wake up as Botswana, we realize that our country has really been impacted on, and now we are feeling the impacts to the core. So it's about enforcing and educating people about these things that are on the ground. Thank you. Thank you for that, um, Kevin. And the last question going out to all our panelists, if there was one thing that you would recommend everyone who is dedicated to climate action focuses on, what would it be and why? So if there was just one thing that we could focus on, what would you like it to be? Before you start answering, I'm going to chip in on individual action. While you think about your one thing, my thoughts on individual action are that you vote with your money. Anything you give your money is what you're voting for. If you're against um, if you're against using plastics, don't put your money where plastics are. If you're against certain ways of building houses where um, where it's, it consumes more energy, then don't do it in that way. My, my views are cognizant of the fact that not everyone can, their budget will not, their budget will not accommodate sometimes what they would like to be um, their climate action commitment. But always be cognizant that where you put your money is where your vote is. Kevin? The only thing I would like people to focus on right now as you know the introduction of environmental education in all sectors environmental education action implementation and monitoring if someone knows something and they actually work on it they can produce results the problem is if you don't know and you're taught to do it becomes so hard to really implement it on so i want people to be educated on environmental education in all sectors, not only education, even private sectors, even the government, even international organizations, so that they know the value of the environment. If you know the value of something, you can conserve and protect it. Thank you. Um, thank you, Kevin. Chimbi? Uh, Dr. Omar, it's waste management. Um, I would like everyone to really consider the triple R's. You know, let's reuse, recycle and make sure that we reduce um, the amount that goes out to our landfills. And that in itself also include what you, you mentioned, Patrick, which is tracing out the use of single-use plastic bags, because these cause uh, detrimental impacts on the environment. They're not biodegradable. So let's reuse uh, and make sure that we have land saved for other uses, as opposed to it being used um, for, uh, you know, for, for waste collection. So I think that's where I'll put my money. <laughs> um, the, three R, the, the three R's, there's your short message. In closing, thank you so much to all the, all the attendees who not only joined, but also participated in the conversation. Um, and to our, two, to our speakers who made it, um, Kevin Rowai, um, Chimbi and Zia Chowdhury, thank you so much for um, joining us. But 
In closing, what is the one thing you would like us to take away? Um, you've shared what you brought to the table. You've seen some of the thoughts that were shared by um, those who are joining us um, in the webinar. What is the one thing that you would like us to take away from this webinar from you? Um, we can do Chimbi and then Kevin. Thank you very much, Paco. Um, the one single thing that I'd like us to take from this is one, uh, I'm hoping that this is not the last one of, uh, I, I hope that we will see more of this uh, in the future and uh, happy to see the feedback that's coming from uh, the attendees as well and saying we've already picked up a few things that would also inform uh, way forward because as UNDP or the UN family right now, we are going through the process of re uh, or developing a new five-year program. Uh, so we'll be, you know, this is very useful feedback and uh, it's already given me ideas in terms of the areas that uh, we may already think of incorporating. Uh, of course, like I said before, it's not always uh, possible to take on board everything, but uh, feedback like this is very useful. Um, also to encourage each one of us to really focus on, at, as an individual, uh, what is it that I can do, you know, in my household? And the education that we talk about, you don't have to be a teacher, you don't have to be trained in the environmental field for you to be able to share such. You know, you are aware of it right now. You can bring your little ones up to know or to be aware uh, of environmental protection growing up, of the challenges that we are facing due to climate change, such that we are able to reach that mindset that we would like to have in order for us to win this fight that we are currently uh, losing. But then again, to say COVID has also given us an opportunity to see that opportunities are there. I mean, uh, resources obviously were repurposed to go towards the COVID, which was in itself uh, a crisis uh, in, in the human, uh, you know, that we've seen in our era. But it doesn't mean that uh, the challenges that we're facing in terms of climate change should go away. You should still keep on. And uh, even better than before. Now opportunities have sort of surfaced in how we could actually attain the green economy that we so much want to get to. So now the agility that we had responding to COVID could also be harnessed, you know, to be used now in addressing issues of climate change. So I think with that, Pato, over from me. Uh, thank you for those um, closing words, Chimbi. Kevin? Yes, uh, I would like to say, you know, youth are the change makers currently. You know, they are active and they read, they research, and they know what to do. And you are the change that you want to see. I mean, you can't want to see a better world while you are polluting it. You can't want to see a better world while you're really, really uh, messing it up, you know. And it's, it's a, a war that we can win if you all participate and play our role. As Timbi has said, you don't have to be an environmentalist. You don't have to be uh, an agri-teacher or an environmental science teacher to really, really combat or, you know, send a message about climate change. You know, even at our own households, it starts with us. If you want to see a bigger picture of the triple R, Start at your house, you know, have that three-bill system in your home, and eventually your neighborhood would join. Eventually your, 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 your city would join as well. 
So it starts small and it has to be a ripple effect of, you know, fighting this war. But I think we're on the right track. And thank you, Pato, for this uh, webinar. And as you know, we want to see more of these. We want to see, you know, now engaging with other people at now community levels, you know, able to portray uh, this kind of setup in a hotline there so that they can also access this and they can also understand what's going out there and where can they go if they need to be working on projects like this, you know, and probably I'd feel in your website as well, you would put more organizations that deal with funding opportunities like UNDP, Jeff, and any other international organizations that we have here so that people can actually go there and, you know, uh, try find uh, funding or technical to help them address climate change. Thank you. Thank you for making time to listen to this episode of Sustain 267 podcast made possible by our partnership with United Nations Botswana. This episode was broadcast live on our Facebook page, Sustain 267, and is still available to watch. I'll be posting new episodes every week of conversations with Africans on climate change and sustainability in Botswana and the rest of Africa. If you haven't yet, please subscribe so you know exactly when a brand new episode is out. And please rate this podcast to make it easier for others to find. I am the host of Sustain 267, Bato Gilisite. The sound engineer was Maleho Makhoti. And the project assistant for this episode was Tsegofa Topatwani. We are still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lives are being lost. So let's continue to follow regulations, wash our hands and maintain social distancing. So we and our loved ones stay safe. Take care. Sustain 267.